Hello, you're listening to You Irons, a West Ham podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney, and as always, I'm with The Athletic's Hammers correspondent, Rashane Thomas. We'll continue to bring you podcasts throughout the football hiatus with a number of special theme shows and big name guests. There's also a raft of great content going up on theathletic.com where Rashane has recently picked his current best West Ham 11, which doesn't include club captain Mark Noble. Bit of controversy there. To read that and much more, go to theathletic.com right now and sign up for a 40% discount by using the promo code WESTHAMPOD. It'll cost you less than £3 a month. Welcome to our latest episode, as I say, um, with Rashane as always. We're also joined, Rashane, uh, by um, a special guest in uh, Dan Foley, West Ham fan, writer and all-round uh, good guy. Dan, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks, Sam. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us on UIons. Um, how are you finding specifically uh, being starved of, of West Ham action during this lockdown period? Well, I mean, it's a relief, isn't it? I think we can all uh, appreciate a break from what has been a terrible season. I, I was looking back, I was thinking about this, and we actually had a good start to this season. Um, we did, until yeah. we Until we realised how important our goalkeeper was. Um, and then, you know, then Roberto came in and we just, we nosedived. Um, yeah. And since then, I mean, let's, let's write off the season. I mean, say what you like about Karen Brady, but I'm all with her on that one. Um, in fact, let's write off the whole season. Let's get rid of a few years. Let's go back maybe 1950s when things were different. <laughs> <laughs> we can start this whole thing again. So West Ham are going to propose that the, the last... 50 to 60 years of, well, of British football to... are wiped from the record. <laughs> I think if we go back to the Cup Winners' Cup, that'll be fine. And then Okay, so that was at 65. On. Yeah, I'm happy with that. If we can continue building from 65 onwards <laughs> under Ron Greenwood, then at who the very... knows what the alternate reality might be for us. At the very least, let's get, it, get rid of VAR. Let's use this to pretend that never <laughs> happened. Uh, Rashane, what I mean, obviously, you're still working and writing about West Ham yeah. pretty much every day on the Athletic. Are you spending any time looking back on nostalgia and archive? Because I've been doing quite a lot of that on on yeah. YouTube. It's funny how I don't miss the current West Ham team at all. Uh, it's just freed up time for me to watch old West Ham teams that I preferred. Yeah, you know what? I actually watched highlights of um, West Ham versus Everton in the year 2000. And it's that game where the Canyon had a great chance to score, but he actually yeah. uh, he turned it down because Paul Gerrard was down on the floor yeah. in agony because his knee was hurting. So I watched that. I watched the highlights of that back. Yeah, that what an absolute up. bastard! <laughs> <laughs> that is what I thought when I saw it. I just thought, "You bastard, Paolo! What on earth are you doing?" I thought to myself, "That's all about you." It's because yeah. everyone's always slating you for diving, right? Uh, which was all people said about the Canyon at the time, which did used to wind me up because, you know, as far as I was concerned, he was the most skillful player in the Premier League during that time. But yeah. all everyone would say was he's a diver, he's a diver, which he was. But, I mean, there was more to him than that. And uh, and I thought, he's bloody caught that ball to try and show the world, actually, I'm a nice guy. Yeah. But he got praised for it, but not many bloody West Ham fans praised him for it. <laughs> Yeah, it was annoying, wasn't yeah, it? Why didn't you score? She just scored. I'm pretty sure he won an award for that. Bloody awards, no good. I'd have rather had three points. Anyway, lads, we um, 
we're going to talk about cult players on this episode today because obviously um, going forward, you ones will be devoting, we'll have special guests on some shows. We'll also devote some shows to particular themes or topics. And uh, we're going to talk cult heroes. So not necessarily your legends like DiCagno or Julian Dix or Trevor Brookin. Everyone is going to mention those names. But the, the, the players that are maybe slightly more bit part players that you have a particular soft spot for. And I'm convinced everyone's got their own personal one. And we were going to talk about that today. But then just as we were about to go on air, uh, Rashane, you dropped us a message to WhatsApp group saying literally moments before we started recording that uh, one of the greatest cult heroes of all time was available and ready, sat in his home by his laptop and ready to talk to us. And that man was... John Monker. That's right. Uh, yeah, what were you speaking to him for an article or what? Yeah, yesterday I spoke to him because at the Athletic we're doing the uh, greatest goal series. So obviously, right. number one, I, I chose um, the Canyon's goal against Wimbledon. Mm. So I spoke to uh, John about that goal because he played. He played in the match. Yeah, well, according to John, he actually initiated the attack with that goal. So he wants special praise for that. So yeah, I spoke to him mm-hmm. about it. You know, he's got his memories on West Ham, and then I thought, oh, you know, we're looking for a guest on the podcast. He told me he's not up to much besides jogging. So I thought, yeah, it'd be great to get him on. And yeah. Well, well done. We're going to hear that interview in a minute. Just just quickly, though, before we go into it, we will be talking about uh, cult heroes later in the show. With regards to that goal, I think that's marvellous that he's claiming credit for it. And I look forward to reading the article. Um, I bloody missed that game. Dan, you must have been there. It was certainly when... You know, it was certainly when I I had a season ticket that season, I would have been there, probably been sitting with you. But I remember missing it. I can't remember why, but I remember hearing on the radio that I was thinking, "Ah, oh, it's only West Ham Wimbledon. It's not. I'm not going to miss that much." And then literally had someone on the radio saying, "Everyone in this stadium has just witnessed what is possibly the greatest Premier League goal of all time." I was absolutely fuming. What are your memories, Dan? Were you there? No, I missed that one as well, Sam. So I oh, can't okay, contribute anything to that. But um, on, you know, yeah, I know I was. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, um, it, I would have loved to have hear, hear more from John about what uh, my cult player, Ian Bishop, um, mm. who, you know, who I, cer- I certainly molded myself on and yeah. got nowhere near. But, you know, yeah. that sort of, it, if you're talking about iconic goals, you know, he, he had an absolute flair for hitting them left foot, right foot, outside the box. Um, and, yeah. He was. He was also. You know. He was my first cult hero. It was. Very, it was as much about the hair as the football. To be yeah, honest. Yeah. I mean, the hair. The thing about him, and they formed a fantastic midfield partnership because, the, to me, that was one of the best midfields West Ham ever had. Because what both of them had was skill, but also fight. So they were both simultaneously yeah. kind of defensive midfielders and attacking midfielders. They could both put a tackle in and they both were beautiful passers at the ball. But the thing about Bishop was that he had that, when he had that long mane of hair, he could do a sort of a turn on the ball. And as he did it, it looked so great because his mane would lash out behind him, wouldn't it? And, and he, it would very, turned... very often lash the opposition midfielder in the face and disorientate them. And then he'd turn and he'd gallop up the pitch like a thoroughbred. One, two, yeah. one, two, up to the edge of the box. Yeah, he was something to watch. You're right. It's beautiful. They used to say, uh, Bishop turns, lashing the opponent with his unfashionable 70s hairstyle. <laughs> that was a regular I followed, line of commentary. I, I tried, I tried to uh, copy that hairstyle to uh, you know, no great effect, I have to say. No, it was, it was difficult to achieve that kind of length and body. Um, anyway... <laughs> 
That was the 90s, kids. Uh, and if you're around back then and into the noughties, you will remember our special guest this week, uh, John Wonka, a fantastic player we signed from Swindon Town in 1994. He went on to play close to 10 seasons for the club. Um, a real cult hero amongst the fans. Rashane lined him up and uh, take a listen to our chat with him. Welcome to You Irons, Mr. John Monker. John, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure, lads. Pleasure. Got nothing uh, else to do. <laughs> no, exactly. How How is life for you? How are you coping with life on lockdown? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. I mean, I've got in a routine, basically. Uh, I'm doing some sort of form of exercise, mainly a run now. I've started running again because previous I was swimming. So right. once the pool got shut, I started running. Uh, and basically, yeah, the missus has got me doing a few jobs, which uh, the DIY is coming on. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, are you handy yeah. around the house? I'd say I'm average. I mean, right. my granddad was a was a painter and decorator for years. That was his trade. So I tend to be drawn towards them sort of jobs. To be honest with you, John. Judging you from your playing style that um, all of us are very familiar with and used to love watching, I imagine you're quite. Uh, you know, you're an energetic person. I imagine you're not someone who is particularly happy just sitting around doing nothing. Would, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think it's the competitiveness of everything. Mm. You know, uh, if someone goes past me when I'm running, I have to. I can't. I can't let it happen. So I have to change gear. And I mean, I found a younger fella. He sort of drifted by me the other day, and I and I really went for it. Got <laughs> past him, and then I had to go on a different route because I thought he's going to come back. You know what I mean? So mm. it's. Uh, and with the two boys at the moment at home, it's we get the dart balled out. There's an argument, you know, whatever yeah. we do. How old are your boys? Well, the oldest one, George, is a place for loot and he lives away now. So oh, of got, course, yeah, George, yeah. We're, yeah, we're, we're very got familiar a, with him. A 23-year-old and, and an 18, so they're fairly sporty. Oh, right, so, so you don't have to go easy on them when you're playing in competitive sports. No. Nah, you don't nah, have to never, let them win. No. Nah. The, the thing is... It was running years ago. Then they went past me, obviously. Then it was basically golf. Uh, that's the sort of, at the moment, my youngest one plays off scratch, so he's gone past me. So everything now, I'm going backwards, they're going forwards. So it, there's always a, an argument in the house who's best at what. You mentioned George there. Um, might as well ask how things are going for him at the moment and what the current situation means for him at Luton. I mean, is he yeah. getting paid? Does he know what the future holds? He is at the moment. I think that they're going to... Obviously, they've had a meeting before they went into lockdown and they, they are getting paid, but things change. You know what I mean? It's With mm. clubs like Luton, they're so yeah. dependent upon week-to-week games. Uh, like a lot of clubs, you know, you're going to... The sad thing is for these clubs, you know, even lower than Luton, and League One, League Two, and non-league teams, they're so dependent and they haven't got a backer to sort of tie them over and bankroll them. So, yeah. you know, we've got to help. I think as a football industry, whether it's the Premier League, you know, UA, whoever, Sky, everyone that's, you know, we need to help these clubs first and uh, keep them afloat. Be honest with you. Absolutely right. I mean, you know, God, the terrible idea of coming out of this crisis with, you know, a number of clubs in serious, in a serious state of, of decline or hovering on the edge of going out of existence. So hopefully there's certainly enough money in the football yeah. to, to bail a lot of them out. 
Definitely. John, I've just been uh, looking through. I've been, you know, d- doing a bit of uh, research. I, you know, I, I remember the day you signed for West Ham, and I'm, I must have had a season ticket for every one of your seasons there. Um, but God, I didn't realise quite how long it was, and so many different teams, and so many. It was a, it was a period between 1994 and 2003, yeah. which was your period at the club. It was a particularly high turnover of players during that time. Uh, I don't know why that was. Might, might have had something to do with Harry. I mean, every club Redknapp's been at, he likes to sort okay. of um, do a lot of horse trading, get players in and out quickly. Yeah. That's obviously his style. It was yeah. the first time that we started investing a lot of money in players from abroad. And yet you were one of the few players who survived throughout that whole period and deep into the Glen Rhoda period as well. Um, there weren't yeah. many others who were there the full time. Even Julian went and then came back, didn't he? I'm proud of the, the length of time that I, I played at West Ham, obviously. And uh, I could have signed for Chelsea. I mean, I spoke to the both clubs. And who knows? Look, Chelsea become a, a, a club that had a lot of money behind it. But who knows? Would I have been there when it all started, you know, happening and they was getting into Europe? No one knows. So mm. I was proud the time I had at West Ham and to be honest it was a fantastic time for me you know I saw as you say so many changes turnover of players uh, got a lot of good friends there that you know become my friends over a period of time and we went from really a relegation threatened team the first couple of years I was there uh, to probably a team that I think it was 98 we got into Europe and then the year after we we come fifth so we become a real I would say top half team with the likes of signings that Harry made, which were gems in terms of Di Canio and Sinclair and players like that. Although he made a, quite a lot of tough ones as well. <laughs> uh, and the boys coming through, I always say the boys coming through, they, you know, if I played with all of them and you're talking Ferdinand, Lampard, Cole, Carrick, Defoe, Johnson, they all mm. become internationals through our academy and it was a pleasure to play with with so many quality players that were great lads because they all come through the academy and, and knew you know what it meant what West Ham meant to them. What were their characters like when they first came through and started training with you lot in the first team? I mean you know we're led yeah. to understand that in those days in particular the senior players would you know you'd give a lot of stick there was a real rites of passage to to the youngsters, yeah. so presumably you dished that out to the likes of Rio and Frank when they first came in. Well, I'll be honest with you, and, and you know, I speak to Frank now on the odd occasion. We was brutal with Frank. I mean, me included. I I don't deny that, and I think that it was a fact that you knew he was coming through, and he was a player that was eventually going to take your place or try to. And it wasn't in a nasty way. It was just in in learning the trade. And I think his dad, who was coach at the time, he he quite liked it because he saw it as character building. So there was no sort of, you know, when you played with them and you was out on the park, he was definitely on their side, 100%. But like all young players coming through, it is a little bit of a initiation and they need to know, like we all did, it was the same with me. How, how are you brutal? How are you brutal, John? Well, I just think in terms of, you know, Training, it was there was no sort of holding back, and it was quite at times. I mean, if you had a grievance with old Frank, I call him old Frank. Mm. Sometimes you take out on young Frank. I mean, <laughs> it, 
<laughs> oh my all god! With, all within, no, it was all within the rules. And, and listen, I've got utmost respect for for him. But as I said, I remember training as a uh, youth player coming into the first team at Tottenham, and Graham Roberts kicked me all over the park. Mm. And I think it just practiced the way that you was brought through. Do, do you feel that you played any part in what Frank Lampard became? In as much as you know, you, you didn't give him any breaks, yeah. you didn't give him any let up. Do you think the way in which you, you may have made him stronger? No, I think definitely. Not only me, like the whole, you know, the lads there at the time. So John, just touching on young players during your time at West Ham, were you also hard on Joel Cole? All, all the young lads learned what it was like from an early, you know, an early age, what was required at the club to get in the first team and play alongside these players. So I don't think it's too different any other club. And Listen, at the end of the day, as I said earlier, once, once you're out there and you're with them, you'll fight 100% for them. So, and we all got on great at the end of the day. It's just the way it was. John, what was your friendship like with Samassi Abu and Florian Radicui? I loved Abu. I thought he was a real character. Uh, <laughs> a funny lad. Uh, he was different in terms of... Uh, you said Radachoy. I would say he wasn't a strong character. That was the only thing that I think let him down. Very quick off the shoulder, good player. But I could, he couldn't adapt to the West Ham way. And I think probably it didn't suit his character. Where Abu loved it, he bought into it. And, you know, he loved the crack, he loved the lads. And a lot went on in them days that, you know, in terms of going out, drinking and whatever, that don't go on now. So it was the culture then, you know. Mischief. General mischief. General mischief's a good way of putting it. Let me ask you this then. You know, there was periods, like you say, certain teams that you were a member of, where you look at the quality and, you know, we weren't far off the quality of the very top sides. You know, when we had y yourself, we had and Trevor Sinclair and Joe Cole and Steve Lomas in midfield and you had Decanio up front mm. and you might have had Rio or Julian at the back. These were, yeah. you know, this is a very good set of players. Let me ask you, if we didn't also have that reputation for being a bit of a what you might call a party club, right? Because you were good mm. players, but also a lot of you were had big reputations for being, yeah. let's say, maverick. Do you think if that side of the game was a bit more like it is today, a bit more professionalised and a, a little bit stricter, that we could have gone on to do something really special? Yeah, I do. I, 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 you know, looking back, you always, like now, you're a little bit more experienced in obviously how the game's changed and probably since I've retired, it's changed immensely, especially with the foreign coaches coming in and whatnot. And I do think that uh, that group of players, them names that you've mentioned, I mean, some fantastic names there. Uh, if we was all, you know, even 10% more professional as uh, individually, listen, we, we didn't do things, we trained hard, we worked hard, we played hard, but, I think if there's, you know, certain things with your diet and obviously the sports science aspects of it all, I do think that we would have all improved. There's no doubt. And, you know, if you, if you put 5% on each player, there's a team there, I reckon, a squad there that, that could have easily got, got into Europe. Uh, no problem. Yeah, John, um, I think I'm right in saying you used to watch West Ham 
um, before you played for them. What was it like that first experience of coming out? Have, you know, as a fan, you dream of that stuff. What's what's the, what's it really like doing that? Yeah, I mean, it's special. The fact that you know, I, I was born in the area. My parents were both out of Stepney. Bow, their parents were. So I knew how much it meant to the family. Uh, I was actually as a schoolboy, I was at Tottenham, so I was made to watch. Spurs a lot, you know, that was part of your academies, you know, then. But I remember every midweek game, I'd get on the train and get that, go down to Upton Park with a few mates. And I just loved the atmosphere of the night games. I mean, that was the ones I would probably go to most. And to make me debut, uh, I think it was a night game against Newcastle. My own debut was special. I mean, it wasn't a classic by any means, but it was just running out there. The place where I, I used to stand on the west side, which was opposite the chicken run, where a lot of older fans would know where what that was and what it what it was there. I was only a little boy, but just to cut, run out and and you know the memory of me standing there thinking I'd love to play for this club one day, and it actually happened. It was special. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, like you say, you've uh, as uh, you had a nearly ten ten year career there. Um, I was. In this uh, lack of football that we're having at the moment, been going through some archives, was watching a highlights reel where Ile Berkovich was talking about his memories and he couldn't remember a lot of players. Like it was Tim Breaker made a pass to him and he could he was like, Who's that guy? Who's that guy? Is, uh, is, 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 has anyone reminded you of something that was, uh, you know, a reminder from the early days that you're like, Ah, oh, completely forgotten about that? One incident was the. Uh, Berkovich, Hartson, famous before smartphones, where the, where the video camera on the training pitch, didn't they? And yeah. um, they yeah. caught they they caught that hefty boot of Hartson um, after Berkovich had punched him. Was that that must have been quite a scene? There's a little bit behind that story, to be honest, uh, and I'll let you into it. A few weeks previous, we played at Chelsea, and me and I, me and I had a falling out uh, over. Someone won't run off of him and I'd done me nut, he'd let his runner go. And I remember it, I don't know, I don't know. Lucky enough, it wasn't a live game, but he come over like, lost his head and he was finger wagging. And I didn't punch him, but I sort of slapped him. <laughs> so it all got stopped. That's a, in many ways, John, that's more insulting than a punch. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. But uh, There's a disrespect to slapping another man. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the greatest uh, moment for either of us. But the referee stopped it. He never, he never sent me off. But none of the, I remember Dennis Wise saying to me like, "Monk, what the fuck have you done now?" I'm sorry, I should swear, but, <laughs> no, but uh, I, uh, after that, we he sort of went back to Israel for an international game that weekend. So there was a press report come out that I was racist, which was furthest thing from the truth. So. I think what happened, when he came back, we had a meet, meeting in Harry's office, uh, me, Frank Lampard and I, well, meeting, I was jumping over the set, it was quite a big office, I was jumping over the set and they sort of stopped me, basically, but uh, <laughs> I think that... Is it, this is Frank Senior, of course, you're, Frank you're referring Senior, to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, so Frank was in there as he, because you wouldn't mess with Frank Senior, he's quite an old man, but... Right. He was in there as the, the go-between, put it put it that way. So I think what happened, a little bit, he lost a little bit of respect because 
that wasn't the you know we'd had an argument on the pitch and the lads right. knew that, that that wasn't the case. I mean, yeah. I see Isle now at West Ham. We get on great. We always have done. So I think what happened, that the, where he's gone home and they've obviously, you know, flagged the incident up, it's got brought out of all proportion. And I was called a racist on the back of the, I think it was a Sunday Mirror or something like that. I don't know. Mm. But I think it sort of led to a few things where I wasn't happy. And a couple of the lads weren't happy. But I, I'm not saying mm. that Johnny done that because of that. I just think that... But there was a tension. There was a tension. Do you know what I mean? And, and you know, that incident was about two weeks later that there was a few arguments happening and whatnot. And worst geezer to pick on, Johnny Artson, surely, if he's got a problem, <laughs> you know what I mean? Pick your opponents. But... Uh, <laughs> He, he sort of lost the head and, and the rest is history. John, just looking back on your time at West Ham, did Eric Cantona ever apologise for stamping on your chest? That Not was Eric. at Swindon, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was at Swindon. Oh, Swindon, yeah. oh, my bad. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's funny because a few years later, he he did apologise to a point. He swapped shirts for me against Man United and he retired the next day. Because I was coming to a point where I was collecting a few shirts and I said to Eric, I said, Eric, swap shirts. And he went, yeah, no problem, uh, in the tunnel. So I said, well, no, I'm going over to see the fans. I said, you remember me, didn't you, the stamp? So he went, <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 like love. <laughs> so, because Man United players weren't allowed to swap shirts uh, in public. So right. what he did, I think he remembered the fact what he'd he done to me. So he swapped the shirt. And, and He knew he owed you one. He knew he owed me one. So... Anyway, I had uh, obviously I had a lot of phone calls after that because the cameras had picked it up. When the actual incident at Swindon happened, uh, everyone remembers it. But what 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 was you, did you have any attempt after that match to to retaliate then? No, he got sent straight off, didn't he? So you weren't after the game still seething and looking for him? Nah, nah. In actual fact, to be fair, I I nutmegged him earlier on in the game, <laughs> and. Uh, I'd give him a bit of banter. And I think he saw that such disrespect. He's thinking, who's this geezer with, oh, this fellow with highlights, giving it a big one. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Swindon. He's getting stamped on. He's getting something, you know? So I think, <laughs> but to be fair, it was probably the best game I'd had as personally that year. You know, we drew to all and uh, I had a, a blinder. So I think that the longer the game, because it happened in the second half, I think he's thought, I've had enough of this fella. I'm going to do something about it. So that was, that was, uh, I think, the reason why he lost it a little bit. And you were like, fair enough, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. <laughs> it, I did, to be honest, it didn't. I didn't even feel it. I think the adrenaline. Yeah. Uh, I did have a crack in the rib, but you, you, that was that was later. But you don't because of the magnitude of the game and what was happening. It didn't really affect me until afterwards. Uh, just before we let you go, John, uh, let's talk about the current side. Um, we were still in a precarious position when the season got stopped. Uh, what were your feelings? Mm. I know you're over there a lot and you see a lot of our mm. games. What were your feelings about our chances of survival under Moyes? I think it definitely improved, especially the last two or three performances. I think uh, before then, we was all getting really worried Uh we had obviously that backlog of really tough games. Mm. Uh, I think the lowest point for me was the Man City game where you're just thinking, look, although it's Man City, we didn't even look like getting over the halfway line. And 
I just thought as a, as a, a squad, we looked really sort of down in terms of the morale. That's the big thing. See, players are only going to perform to their best if they're confident and they, they've got a good team spirit. And when you're in a relegation battle, and I've been in two or three at West Ham, I think that's the one thing that you need. And that returned. The Liverpool performance was good. And then we ended up getting a, a good win against Southampton. So I think the signs were really good. And this break will help us either way. I do think we're good enough, without a doubt, as a squad to stay up. And I think that Moyes, David Moyes will bring in that mentality and that team spirit that's needed in mm. any relegation battle, don't matter how good your players are. Two players, just your brief opinions on. Firstly, uh, Nobes obviously has been a great leader, not dissimilar in style to to yourself, in fact. Um, in that you know he can he can pass the ball beautifully, but he's also got that tenacity about him. He's a hard man to replace. How much longer do you think he's got as a first team regular? Well, I think it's you know every season we sort of say this about him, but when he plays, he makes he makes the team tick. Uh, his experience is invaluable, as you say. He's a, he's a technically good player on the ball. And he gives you that carrot, that fire and, and, and them tackles and stuff that other players look around and think, look, it's, it's the example. And as we spoke about earlier, as, as players coming through, he sets the example, he sets the bar, what you need in terms of mentality and, you know, work rate and whatnot. So he's, he's, he will be a big miss when he, when he sort of finally uh, finishes a, a regular, you know, as a regular but we've got a, enough players, I think, in the squad to sort of get by and, and replace that. I think that the boy we've signed, I forget his name, who's come Suchek. over. Suchek. I think yeah. he's, he's a, he looks a real good uh, signing. I think he's, he's, he can handle the ball and he's got great legs and he gets in the box. And with Declan Rice, we've got, you know, a future uh so I wouldn't say world star yet, but he's he's going that way. I think you think he's be, got you think he's got that potential. I think he's got the potential to be you know an England regular, definitely. Mm. Uh, I and think do you think he's, he's going to stick around realistically in this day and age? Do you think whether right. we stay up or or go down? Do you think we got a decent chance of holding on to him next year? Uh, that's the struggle, mate. Listen, it's always been the same, isn't it? You know, when when we spoke about the players earlier that come through. Every one of them went. If we could have kept hold of them, it would have been fantastic. But the reality is they're going to want to go to a, a Champions League club. Uh, they're going to want to better themselves. So you're very rarely going to get someone that's stayed about as long as I did now. Perhaps because I weren't good enough to go anywhere else. But <laughs> Did you ever get any many offers during your, during your 10 years? Did you well, get many offers to go elsewhere? I, I knew Arsenal wanted me. That was a definite. I got tapped up. Uh, it broke down negotiations. But then I could have gone to Bolton and QPR for more money and I didn't mm. want to go. Uh, it was it was later, a little bit later on, but they were two clubs that uh, wanted to sign me and the sort of clubs were going to agree. Well, they'd had, they had agreed and Harry come and said, look, we've, you know, we've got this and I didn't want to go. So I think, look, at, at the end of the day, I, it's a bit like Noble. You get to a point, you think, why would I want to go when I'm playing for West Ham? Great. Yeah. What a lovely sentiment. A great sentiment to end it on, John. Um, it's a real pleasure and an honour to speak to you. Genuine club legend and a hero. 
Thanks ever so much for your time and, and keep well. Cheers. Thank you, lads. Cheers. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com slash irons and pay the postage of £4.95. And, as if that wasn't enough, as a listener to you irons, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, and a beery snack is thrown in as well. Just go to beer52.com slash irons to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, you irons listeners get two extra free beers. What a guy. Brilliant reliving those times. I mean, happy memories of that era, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was uh, a stalwart. Uh, Even towards the end of his career, when he came on as a substitute, you knew he was going to change change a game with mm. uh, something that he was going to do. Um, you know, he still put it about right towards the end, and you know, he had he had some great moments, great times with the clubs, and you know, that period, like you said, was an incredible transition back from ninety four to two thousand three. What um, some incredible times during that period of West Ham teams that were so close yet so far. I consider it a golden era. People say, there's so many people. I'm always astounded by the number of West Ham fans I talk to who have a real dislike or contempt for Harry Redknapp and his era at the club. Because to me, it was a golden era. The players, the game. if you talk about the, the most memorable moments as a West Ham fan, you know, the, 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 the generation of youth team players that, that we talked about there with John that came through. I mean, unprecedented, not just at West Ham, but anywhere. People talk about the class of 92 at, um, at Manchester United. They made a whole bloody film about them. But our class of, I suppose you'd say, I think it was about 96, 97, which is when uh, two simultaneous, two consecutive youth teams graduated into the first team. So you had Rio and Frank's generation followed by uh, Carrick and Cole's generation. And then also came uh, Johnson and uh, Defoe along the way as well. I mean, you know, that was Tony Carr brought them through. He said he was watching the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. And he said more than half the team were players that he had nurtured through West Ham's youth system who were lining up for England in the World Cup. John Munker played through all of that. These were golden times on... Always been surprised by the uh, level of uh, sort of cynicism there is about Harry Redknapp, Rashane. Do you, do you yeah. find that from fellow Hammers? Yeah, and also last summer I interviewed Harry for the uh, like a feature piece on the Intertoto Cup. Mm. And when I was speaking to him, he was like, if we hadn't sold Lampard, you know, Glenn Johnson, Defoe, and others, like he's adamant West Ham would have won the Premier League. Yeah. So I agree with him on that. And yeah, like other Hammers are like, if, if that team didn't, didn't break up, we could have been so successful. And you better remember, under Redknapp, we finished fifth. So a great shame about we couldn't build the momentum. So that's the only great shame under the Redknapp era. Yeah, I've got great memories of of that entire era. Um, Well, 
It's been a great show. We weren't expecting it to be a John Monker special, but it has been. We were going to talk about cult heroes. I think that fits in because John Monker definitely was one of those. But we will carry that on right, uh, to a future episode. So if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you probably the best way is to tweet me at Delaney Man or Rashane at Rashane Sport um, with your nominations for your personal cult hero. So, like I say, we don't we don't want your Brookins or your Bonds or your Dicks or your Decanios. You know, they're 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 more what I would class as bona fide club legends. Uh, we've already heard Dan's was Ian Bishop, um, Rashane. Got anyone in particular, a sort of more kind of unusual player who's, yeah. who you've got a soft spot for? It's a bit left field, this one, but a player who I really have a soft spot for, what I had rather, is uh, George McCartney. Oh, yeah. yeah, the left back. The left back, that's who I have a soft spot for. Just And he had two spells at the club, didn't he? Yeah, well, three, well, yeah, well, three if you, if you factor in his loan spell, but... Yeah, two and right. two. Oh, he came yeah. back a third time. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> third time. He loved us so much, you just he like, you had to come up for a third time. And is that why you love him? Because he came back three times. I don't think there's any other... I can't think of another player who's done three separate spells. Uh, exactly. I, I was just thinking about like good left-backs we've had at the club. And obviously, mm. we currently have Masio Aku and Cresswell. Mm. And I was thinking about like the last time we had like a really good like fullback. I was thinking, oh, George McCartney. And, and he was good for us. He wasn't like a he rubbish was. player or anything. So, yeah, no. that's why I have a soft spot for him. Okay. Well, mine uh, is... I've got a few, but I think my, my favourite uh, memory is of a young Portuguese kid who came in the 90s called Hugo Porfirio. Um, and we signed him on loan from Sport in Lisbon. And this was in the days where it was still a bit of a novelty for West Ham to get in foreigners. I mean, we'd had a few during that era. I'd never heard of him. And I went and watched him. I think I think he was playing against Forrest. Uh, and he was absolutely like a, a, a skillful player. Like, I don't know if you remember Paco Diaz from Roy the Rovers, but he was Melchester Rovers' maverick Spanish winger. And uh, Roy the Rovers had taught me that all players from Iberia were maverick, talented, and favoured things like back heels and nutmegs. And that's exactly what Hugo Porfirio was. I mean, he, he absolutely lit up Upton Park on his debut. And I said to one of our pals, Dan, I said to our pal Neville at the time, I'm never talking about any other subject again other than Hugo Porfirio. Well, that's how obsessed I was with the kid. Um, but unfortunately, he had. I think he scored about four goals for us in total over about twenty games and disappeared. But I, I've never forgotten him. Do you have, you have memories of him? Well, yes. When Redknapp really went in for, he rolled the dice with foreigners at that stage, didn't he? Did, he? Yeah. We we had a few. Um, do you remember Donny? The uh, oh, he's another do Portuguese. I? <laughs> what talking, a be- most beautiful man beautiful to have ever played for West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, obviously Radachoya was mentioned earlier. Um, Bugas, we shouldn't forget. In these, no, and uh, Paolo Futre, of course, the, oh, of the, course. the oh, yes. Portuguese yeah. Maradona. Good times, good times. Well, look, those are our cult heroes. Um, in the meantime, just tweet me at Delaney Man or Rashane at Rashane Sport with your cult heroes. We'll be back next week with another special. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure, thank you, Rashane. Keep it real and uh, we'll speak again soon. Sure thing, Sam. And remember, ladies and gents, there's only one Samasia Boo. (laughs) 